This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Turkey's President Recep Tayyip Erdogan acknowledged that there were problems with his government's response to earthquakes that struck his country as well as Syria on Monday. Many Turks have complained that state rescue teams lacked expertise and appropriate equipment and that they were slow to arrive even though people remain trapped under rubble. Mr Erdogan said it was impossible to have prepared for the situation but that it was now under control. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky arrived in Brussels to address the European Parliament. During his speech, he thanked European leaders for their support and reiterated Ukraine's desire to join the bloc. On a surprise trip to London and Paris on Wednesday, Mr Zelensky repeated his calls for the West to provide fighter jets to his country. Western allies have so far refused to send warplanes. Annual inflation in Germany fell in January, which may demand a revision of Eurozone inflation figures released last week. The publication of Germany's data had been delayed due to technical issues. Germany's harmonised index of consumer prices dropped from 9.6% in December to 9.2% last month. Economists polled by Reuters had expected a rise to 10%. The Australian government said it would remove 900 Chinese-made surveillance cameras from more than 250 of its facilities, over fears they might feed information back to authorities in Beijing. Britain and America have already taken similar steps. Anthony Albanese, Australia's Prime Minister, said he did not believe the move would sour relations with China. Credit Suisse recorded its largest loss since the financial crisis in 2008, as it struggled to restore confidence after a series of social media rumours questioning its liquidity and capital position emerged last year. The Swiss bank reported a loss of 1.4 billion Swiss francs, equivalent to $1.5 billion, as both its investment banking and wealth management business suffered. That took its annual loss to 7.3 billion Swiss francs. Disney said revenues for the past quarter, during which Bob Iger returned to the helm, rose by 8% year-over-year to $23.5 billion, beating expectations. Losses at the streaming unit, which includes Disney+, totaled $1.1 billion, though the number of subscribers held up better than expected. The media giant said it would sack 7,000 people, about 3% of its global staff. Spain's Supreme Court ruled that the government was wrong to exclude bullfighting from a list of events that young people could attend through a free ticketing scheme. Spaniards turning 18 get a €400 allowance, half of which they can spend on cultural events. But the government omitted bullfighting, prompting an organisation that promotes the activity to take the matter to court. And fact of the day. 8 million the number of people displaced by Pakistan's monsoon flooding last summer. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Zelensky goes to Brussels. Leaders of the European Union's 27 member states will convene in Brussels on Thursday. President Volodymyr Zelensky, who would dearly like Ukraine to become the bloc's 28th member, is expected to make a rare in-person visit. He is also due to address the European Parliament. On Wednesday, he made unexpected trips to London and Paris. For their tenth meeting in under a year, 
European leaders will discuss how to keep aiding Ukraine with weapons, cash, and one day, EU accession. Then they will squabble over migration. A surge in arrivals has prompted some countries, most recently Bulgaria, to demand the bloc build more fences around its outer borders. Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, among others, feels that is rather too Trumpian. The EU also needs to argue how to respond to the giant green subsidies recently enacted by America. Fighting them with European ones is one possibility, but might undermine the EU's vaunted single market. Adani Enterprises Reports Its Earnings On Thursday, Adani Enterprises will report its results for the last quarter of 2022. It will be its first earnings call since Hindenburg Research critiqued the finances of the Adani Group, of which Adani Enterprises is a part. The Indian conglomerate has forcefully denied Hindenburg's allegations. Adani will undoubtedly use the event to try to assuage investors. On Monday, it announced that it would repay 19 months ahead of schedule a $1.1 billion loan that was taken out using shares in some of the group's companies as collateral. It was later reported that it had faced a margin call for $500 million. Yet shares in some of the group's companies continue to gyrate. The market value of the Adani Group has fallen by about half since the report. Its founder, Gautam Adani, has lost billions. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi has been silent about the trials of Mr. Adani, a close associate and of his company, which plays a big role in India's infrastructure. Regulators are said to have asked Adani for information related to Hindenburg's claims, but it seems unlikely that Hindenburg's allegations will be proven or dispelled anytime soon. Big Changes at Japanese Carmakers Quarterly earnings reports of Japanese carmakers tend to be demure affairs. But on Thursday, Toyota and Nissan, Japan's first and third largest auto manufacturers, will announce their results amid an air of drama. Both firms recently announced major internal changes. Toyota replaced its longtime chief executive and grandson of the firm's founder, Toyota Akio, with Sato Koji, its chief branding officer and head of Lexus, its luxury label. On Monday, Nissan announced that it would restructure its alliance with Renault, a French car maker, so that the firm's stakes in each other are equalized. Both moves are intended to help the two companies navigate the shifting roads of the modern car industry. Despite being the world's top-selling car maker, Toyota has been laggard on electric vehicles under Mr. Toyota. Tapping Mr. Sato gives the company a chance to reset the narrative, and the marriage between Nissan and Renault had long been unhappy. A looser union could give them the freedom to focus on their respective home markets. The State of South Africa Cyril Ramaphosa's annual State of the Nation speeches have tended to follow a pattern. South Africa's president, in power since replacing Jacob Zuma in 2018, tells Parliament that he will fix various problems. Power cuts, joblessness, 
investment-depleting red tape, and so on. Then, as a result of his own timidity, his rancorous ruling party, the African National Congress, and a weak bureaucracy, he does little or nothing about them. Blackouts in South Africa were worse last year than any on record. The unemployment rate remains stubbornly high at 33%. So when Mr. Ramaphosa gives his latest address in Cape Town on Thursday, he will speak to a deeply skeptical nation. He will pledge again to overhaul Exum, the state-owned energy utility. A cabinet reshuffle is in the works, but South Africans are tired of homilies from a president who has tarnished his own reformist credentials. The country is in a hole. To get out, it needs more than words. Rushdie returns triumphant with new book. At the end of Salman Rushdie's Victory City, the author's 15th novel, a magical storyteller proclaims that while regimes fall, stories survive. Words are the only victors. Few writers embody the spirit of that claim as powerfully as Mr. Salman. The Bombay-born author of Midnight's Children and the Satanic Verses finished his fable a few months before an attacker stabbed him in August 2022, leaving him blind in one eye and without full use of one hand. His latest book, published this week, is a historical chronicle of the Vijayanagar Empire of southern India that talks about the power of narrative art to prevail over violence and hatred. Its heroine, a poet queen, conjures a fabulous realm into existence. Fantasy and history converge. Sir Salman, who is still recovering from the attack, will not appear at promotional events. Still, the champion of free-spirited fiction who withstood both an Iranian fatwa and a violent assault claims the last triumphant word. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. Please note the way we choose winners has changed. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Thursday. Which 1953 film musical starring Ethel Merman features the song The Hostess with the Mostess? Wednesday. Which female mathematician is generally regarded as the first to write a computer program? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Aletta Jacobs, who was born on this day in 1854. Fighting for what is right makes life worth living. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.